Uh, Father, we just thank you for this opportunity, Lord, to uh, learn a little bit in Sunday school, Lord. We hope to learn about Genesis. We hope to learn about your foundational book of the Bible. Lord, we hope to learn some information we didn't know. Hopefully, uh, have a good time as we do it, Lord, and just uh, let everybody be blessed. Let me be blessed. I've been blessed studying it. And Lord, we just look forward to what you're going to do in our midst. Lord, we thank you. We love you. We give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, um, <laughs> I already announced to the people that I found my hat, so everything's good. So for everybody that's coming in late, that you can just come on in and sit down. That's just one person, but that's fine. Um, I want to say something to you, and then we're going to talk about Genesis. Uh, here it goes. Barashit bara Elohim et Shemayim et Ha'eretz. Y'all have no idea what that is, but that is basically Genesis 1-1. Okay? That is the opening verse of the Bible. Genesis is a book of beginnings, and it provides a dramatic account of the origins of mankind and the universe. The intrusion of sin into the world and the catastrophic effects uh, that it has on our race, on a people, on the people of God, and the beginnings of God's plan to bless the nations through his seed. Now, the outline that we're going to use for the next eight weeks is going to be, this week we're going to kind of cover an overview, a general outline of what uh, Genesis is about, and we're going to talk about Genesis 1-1. Next week, we will cover the creation of the universe, then we will cover the creation on week three, the creation of man. Week four, we will talk about man's fall. Week five, we will talk about the effects of the fall. Week six, we will talk about God's remedy for that fall. Week seven, we will talk about Abraham, God's man. And in week eight, we will continue with Abraham. Now, the title, if you, oh, if y'all, there's a little handout sheet on that piece of, on that chair back there for you guys to get. Did everybody get one? Thank you, Chris. It's good to see everybody here today. Hopefully uh, more people will show up. Hopefully you'll leave telling them that this was a great class and they'll want to come. The Hebrew title is called, and you see it on your sheet, and you read it from right to left. Okay, It's Berashit. And that is translated in the beginning. The English title means Genesis. It was, de- it was derived from the Greek translation of the word, the second Hebrew word you see there is toledot. And that is a key word in the book. Genesis 2-4, uh, in the Septuagint translations, this is the, genes- this is the book of the genesis, of the heavens and the earth. And that's all we're going to talk about. This is, we're just going to talk about what is the beginning, what is the foundation, why is this book so foundational to us. The authorship of the book. Genesis is the first book of the Pentateuch. The traditional understanding states that Moses is the author of this book, but not only of this book, of the first five books. And it is not until modern scholarship, has anybody here heard of the JEDP theory? Great, then I won't have to cover it at all. Don't worry about it. What, what will happen is, is you're going out, you might talk to somebody and they might bring it up. Just know it's bunk, okay? Um, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter Moses wrote the book. Now, how do we know that Moses wrote the book? You have three things listed on your sheet. The first one is, there is no compelling reason to doubt that Moses holds the traditional authorship of Genesis. 
all the even you read old commentaries, new commentaries, everything, introductions, all of this. It says Moses, 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 all over the time, Moses, and so, until you get to guys who are critical and they'll say, well, it might not have been Moses. I believe it's Moses. I think Heritage Grace teaches that it's Moses. Guys, it's Moses. The second reason is the Old Testament proclaims that Moses is the author of Genesis. When they say, hey, this was said by Moses in the, in the, in the law, whatever, they're talking about Moses. It's Moses. Moses wrote the book. Am I, am I being clear? Y'all understand who wrote the book? Moses. Moses wrote the book. That's it. And the third reason that we believe that Moses wrote the book, and you guys can fill this in on your sheet, is, now this is going to be a revelation to y'all. Jesus believed Moses wrote the Pentateuch. Jesus. When, and if Jesus says it, guess what? It is. It is. I believe it. That settles it. Jesus is the man. If I got a question about anything, if Jesus says, have you not read in the law, which was written by Moses, hey, he believes that Moses wrote Genesis. All right? So that's good enough for me. Um, let's get into just a general outline of the book. The outline of Genesis depends upon how you view the internal structure of the book. There have been many outlines that have been, been brought up, but we're going to follow a simple one. Four events, or four people, four events, excuse me, and four people. That breaks down the whole book. Four events, four people. All right? The four events are the creation, the corruption, the destruction, and the dispersion. All right? Creation, corruption, destruction, dispersion. The four people are Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. I mean, it's real simple. My mom, I love my mom. She has a, a, a problem with remembering Romans. And I tried to explain to her, Romans is made up this way. And what it did was it helped her. And I think if you can get a, a skeleton, just something to hang your hat on as you're reading the book, that will help you. And if you can just remember those eight simple things, that will help you as you're reading the book. And it talks about and it says, hey, this is, now we're talking about Joseph. Oh, so, oh, we're in this part of the book. Or the fall of man. Oh, we're in this part of the book. That will help the book fall into place for you. But another way to view the, uh, the, uh, the, the text of Genesis deals with the word up in, your, up in the little introduction, the toledote. And it goes like this. Creation, and that, that word toledote is translated sometimes as the genesis of. The generations, or the generations of. The uh, creation, the generation of the heavens and the earth. The generations of Adam. The generation of Noah. The generations of Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Who was, or Noah's sons, the generation of Shem, Terah, the generation of Ishmael, the generation of Isaac, the generation of Esau, the generation of Esau, uh, who was the father of the Edomites, and the generations of Jacob. That's a different way to break down the book. Now, that's, that's how you'll, if you're reading the book and you just had to look at Genesis and say, how does this break out? You might find that, you know, these are the generations of, and you might say that's a structural marker. But I think the eight ways that we're going to remember it are just a little bit easier. Four events, four people. That's it. That's the whole book. Four events, four people. Welcome to all y'all who've come in. Um, here's something that we need to know about why we want to study Genesis. 
if the truth is to be known, most of us are much more acquainted with the New Testament than the Old Testament. Who's, who can say that, that that's true? I can't. Uh, you know, you go to seminary, and I'm sitting in class, and they're talking Old Testament stuff, and I'm just lost as I can be. And I'm trying to catch up, and I'm trying to read stuff, and I'm reading, and I'm... And even now to this day, I still don't feel as comfortable in the Old Testament as I do with the New Testament. But neither, it's neither here nor there. For one thing, the New Testament is smaller than the Old Testament. Now, if you open up your Bible, and you look at just where Matthew starts, you got how much room... From where Matthew ends, where Matthew starts to the end of the book, right about here. Well, this, this side is a lot bigger than this side, okay? But here's the great thing. If you hold your book up, if you hold your Bible up, and you look at it like this, though, do you understand that all human history is in this book? All human history, not just what happens to the New Testament church. All human history is in this book. From the beginning of time to what happens to when time is no more. So we have to understand our whole Bible from beginning until the end. Um, I want to suggest several reasons why a study of the Old Testament, a study of Genesis, is important. Genesis is foundational. That's the first point. Um, if you want to know where everything started, you got to go to Genesis. The doctrine of sin, the doctrine of salvation, the doctrine of man and his mandates, the kingdom and Christ are all found in the old are found in Genesis. The writers of the New Testament constantly assume that their readers were familiar with the book of Genesis. So often a person begins to read the Bible for himself and where do they start? Where do people start when they start to read the Bible? This it's kind of funny. Take a guess. Anybody take a guess? John? Not John. Not Genesis. Revelation. Revelation. People start in Revelation. I have no idea why. Because when you read Revelation, you got beasts crawling up out of stuff. You got the seas collapsing and dragons coming down. But you don't understand any of that if you don't start in Genesis. And if you don't start with the Old Testament. You have to understand the Old Testament. And to understand the Old Testament, you've got to understand Genesis. All right? Uh, the Old Testament, or Genesis, is very practical. Now, this might not seem obvious when you first turn to the book of Genesis. Uh, after all, the people are far removed from us. They're in a different time. It's a different place. All of this is it's just different, okay? Yet, there are there's some commonalities that we share with the people of the Old Testament. And the first thing that we share with the people is, and this is very important, God has not changed. Okay, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, when the, when the New Testament says that, it specifically says that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and, and forever. But Jesus is God. But that's a whole different, different subject. Um, the second thing is, people have not changed. We are still sinful, corrupt, bent, and broken. Y'all understand that? Mm -hmm. And when we start thinking that we are better than we are, that leads to problems. I've been listening to a, a series from an old pastor of mine just over and over and over and over and over and over in my car, and it's talking about how society has degraded and things like that. And, and I'm just, just stunned how perverse and crooked that people are. I mean, we're, we are twisted. Do you understand what I'm saying? And that has not changed. Adam and Eve, to, to walk with God in the cool of the day and then to pervert God's word, you have to be twisted. But we do no better than them. If we were there, we would do the same thing. We are them and they are us. The third thing you have to remember is 
God has not changed. People have not changed. The truth has not changed. The things that uh, applied back that in those days are the things that still apply to people today. Yes, God has not changed. People have not changed. We're still broken and corrupt. But the solution still applies to all men today. When we study the Old Testament, when we study Genesis, we ought to recognize that there is a message that is being given on several different layers. Um, there is God is interacting with creation. Can anybody give me a verse that has, shows God interacting with creation? In the beginning, God created. Keep going. You got, you're almost there. And the Spirit of God is hovering over the waters. That's God interacting with creation. At the same time, we ought to see that there's another interaction taking place uh, between Moses as the human author and the, uh, recip- the original recipients of this writing. Moses, was, Moses is the author of the book, but the book uh, does not have Moses in it. Now, that was actually something I, I read, a, a fact that when they went out on the street and they asked people, where does Moses show up? Everybody assumed Genesis, but Moses doesn't actually show up till Exodus. Mm-hmm. But what Moses is writing to people who are living at this point in history where what has happened before, the, the later events in Genesis, are kind of like just not that far in the past to them. It's a few generations removed from them. Mm-hmm. They can turn around and they can see, hey, look, as I look at Joseph and Jacob and Abraham and, and, and Noah and all these, okay, that's, that, this is affecting me. This is stuff that comes to me. And so that's important. Uh, as we read through Genesis 1, the sta- while standing in the sandals of Moses and the Israelites, who have just come out of Egypt, we shall see certain things come to light that we might not have otherwise noticed. Number one. The God who creates light and darkness is the same God who brought darkness over Egypt during the plagues. Number two, the God who separates the waters from the waters on the second day of creation is the same God who separates the waters of the Red Sea to deliver the Israelites from Pharaoh. Number three, the God who created the sun and the moon and the stars is the creator of those things that were worshipped back in Egypt. While back in Egypt, the various gods were worshipped, number four, yeah, five, four or five. Um, While back in Egypt, the various gods were worshipped in the forms of all sorts of beasts and birds and creeping things. It is the same God who first brought all of these things to being. And it is not only the Pharaoh of Egypt, but all men who are made to worship the image of God. See, back in there, back in uh, the Egyptian times, Pharaoh was a god. To the, to the Egyptians. But it's not Pharaoh that we're to worship. It's the God of Pharaoh, the true God of Pharaoh, the God of all men. All right? When the Israelites uh, in the wilderness were dis- disheartened and discouraged, and they think back to the gardens that were in Egypt and the food that was available there, they will be reminded that God has a better garden for them. And the same God who made the Garden of Eden has promised that he will give them a land flowing with milk and honey. That's what God's going to do. All right? Finally, when we have seen uh, the message of the, in the original narrative, and we have seen it through the eyes of the original author and the recipients, uh, we will be ready to also see that there is a message in, the, in, in Genesis for us. And I think that's key. We have to look at Genesis as Christians. We can't look at Genesis 
at from a Hebrew standpoint. We can't look at Genesis from a non-believing standpoint. We have to look at Genesis through what is called Christological lenses. All right? But I'll get to that. What is the purpose of the book of Genesis? The first thing that has to be noted when we read through Genesis is, is the summary nature and the rather quick overview of the first 11 chapters. Now, when you think about Genesis, has anybody here read through Genesis? Mm-hmm. All right. When you think about Genesis, this story takes place from the beginning of time to approximately, uh, and, and uh, from the beginning of time be- till time began, until approximately mm, four, five, six thousand. You can go up to 10,000 years, but it's not billions of years ago. The time frame of the first 11 chapters is enormous, but the majority of the book covers just a few years. All right, you've got thousands of, of time of of, or excuse me, yeah, you got thousands of years covered in the first book in the first eleven chapters. Then you got a small little bit of time covered in the last forty chapters. It seems that Abraham is the central man. The book builds to Abraham, and then it follows what Abraham does. Abraham is the central character of the book of Genesis. If you have to pick out one thing, one person, one man, where you say, hey, this is where the book centers, it has to be Abraham. Abraham is the man because it is through Abraham that God brings forth uh, something that I'll, I'll bring up next week that is a blessing to all nations. As one writer said, I do not believe that Genesis is written with the intention of giving readers throughout history an exact detailed account of the history of man from beginning, but to tell the story of the history of one man and this one man's relationship to God. It is a history written with a definite purpose in mind. You have to remember that. Genesis was written by Moses, and it has a definite history in mind. It's not meant to tell us the history of what was going on in China. It was not meant to tell us the history of what was going on in the Antarctic. It's not meant to tell us the history of how that star out past Cirrus got there. It's not meant to tell us that. It is meant to tell us the history of the Hebrew people through the line of Abraham. That's the point of the book of Genesis. Now that leads to a question, and it's on your notes here. It says, is Genesis a story or a myth? Yes, sir. Given that you're saying there's an original audience that has, there's an intended author, authorial intent Mm -hmm. for the original audience, what impact would that have on those originally hearing it about the line (coughs) of Abraham and how God deals with Abraham's line to that generation? How, How is that important in the overview of what you're saying? Okay, if I understand your question, I'm actually going to talk about that in three weeks. Is that, is that okay? I guess. Okay. <laughs> when, when, I, when I get to Abraham, because I think if, if I understand his question, he's saying, as we look at Genesis, what impact does, does the book have to the original hearers mm-hmm. written by Moses who would have said, what's going on? You know, why are we here? What are we doing? And so you're... you're you're getting ready to go into the promised land. Why is this book written? Why was he up on the mountain? Why was he talking to God? Why was all of this stuff happening? Moses, can you tell us? Is that your question? What's the, what's the point? Yes. Well, I think 
Like, why is that so important? Why is this so important? And I'll get to that when I get to Abraham. Um, because again, Abraham is the key is the key man, and he is he is the apex of this book. And and I think and the, the the longer I studied it, I mean, you really have to understand. Now it gives it says the Toledot structure in a lot of different places, but it never says these are the generations of Abraham. It skips that. But Abraham is the man. It the book focuses on that man, and it builds to him, and it ends with him. He is, the, the, the point, I think, if I can say it succinctly, is they would have looked and saw our history is God's history. Does that make sense? And they would have taken solace in that. They would have said, hey, God has a purpose for us. And if, if I can leave it at that, I'll, I'll get to it when we get to Abraham. The other question would be, um, as the original hearers, mm-hmm. would they look at any of the information in Genesis as types or shadows at all? Oh yeah. I, oh well, I'm sorry. No. I don't think the uh, I don't think the, the like an eschatological view at all. Right. Well, the one thing is uh, as opposed to the people that were around the Hebrews okay. who had a uh, secular view of time. Right. The Hebrews knew that time went from here to there. Linear. It was linear. It was eschat- Time is eschatological. Time is going to come to an end and it has a purpose. Okay. And I think that they would have understood that. Okay. that they would. But now, would they have understood um, the seed in Genesis 3? No, I'm not saying necessarily that. I don't think so. I'm saying more of, of like Excuse me. There are some predictive or some prophetic things, I think, that take place in the book of Genesis, in the life of Joseph. Yes. You see it in the life of Abraham. Yes. You see it in, you see it in those things. So I'm wondering if, if there is a, I mean, even with the seed, shall smite this serpent. Right. Right? So as an original hearer, am I going to see that anyway whatsoever of some kind of before the rest of the books in the Pentateuch? Am I going to see that as a certain type or a certain shadow? That's a tough question to answer. I, I don't think that uh, a Hebrew... One, you got to remember that the Pentateuch was written as one book. Mm-hmm. It's always referred to as the book of Genesis or the book that right. Moses wrote. It's not five individual books. Right. So um, I think that they would have... Because I'm thinking about stuff that I've read and how they're talking about Hebrews, and I'm just... I can't remember anybody saying that anybody would have looked at, at, at the book of Genesis and saw shadows and types in there. And I can't, I can't, I can't see that. Um, I think we can only do that with Christian lenses. Christian lenses. Uh, and as an example, when, and this is a little off track, but when you get to Genesis 126, it says, let us make man. If you're a Hebrew, that's got nothing to do with the Trinity. Nothing. But a lot of people, it's a strong statement. yeah, it's it. That, well, that's the Trinity right there in the first verse of, in the first chapter of the Bible. I mean, I'm going, eh, 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 you know what I'm saying? Um, I, I understand that, but again, you can only make that statement if you have the New Testament revelation given to you. If all you have is the Old Testament, you, you can't make that kind of call. Does that make sense? Are you why are you smiling at me? Because we had that talk. Yeah. Okay. Um, but that's that's the issue, all right? Um, so is is Genesis... Did I answer your question? I want to make sure I answer your question. We're, we're going to put one question off. You could. Yeah, we're going to put one question off. Yeah. And I hope I answered the other one. Um, 
Is Genesis a myth? Pagan literature at the time sought to answer many of the questions proposed by man for the way things are in the universe. Many writers describe the contents of Genesis as a myth and attribute its origins to myth. Mythological literature seeks to explain the origin of things in a symbolic form. Myth recalls so-called sacred history rather than actual history. Many try to make the Hebrew scriptures fit into the mold of being mythological in nature, but that conclusion does not hold with the facts. Pagan literature that records supernatural activities such as creation, the flood, and other divine interventions in man's world are often compared with Genesis, but they do not hold up with the facts. Now, next week, we're going to talk about, on your sheet, there's a little picture of a little tablet that's down on the uh, bottom, bottom right hand. Mm-hmm. That is the uh, 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 picture of the tablet of the, um, I can never say it, Anumalish, which is a creation epic from some other people. But... It just doesn't hold up. You have creation stories from Egypt. You've got Mesopotamian creation stories. You've got Babylonian creation stories. You've got, all, you've got Sumerian creation stories. All of these creation stories surround Genesis, and they're all myth, and they're, they're what's known as a cosmo, cosmogony, and that's in your, in your notes. They're, that's all they are. They're, just, they're, they're a way to explain how we all got here. But the problem is... They, they take some extreme liberties, shall I say, and I'll just leave it at that. And we're, we're going to cover more of the things that, um, some of the problems that I think are with the Sumerian, Egyptian, Mesopotamian issues next week. But it's, it's not that Genesis is not history. Genesis is actual history, which is the next point on your, on your little thing. It says... Genesis does not sound like a modern history to many scholars today, but it has to be remembered. Genesis is part of the revealed word of God, and therefore it is both divine and human. The first thing that one has to realize is, can anybody give me a guess? What's the first thing you have to realize? God has not changed. It's the word of God. You could put either one of those in there. And the second thing is, man has not changed. Nothing in Genesis has ever been disproven by an archaeological find, but just the opposite. Now, saying that, if they dig up something in the sands of Egypt and it points to something in Genesis, if they dig up a bone... And, it, and the bone has Moses written on it, all right? <laughs> that does not mean that Genesis is true. All that means is that if, it, if the bone was found in the cave and it, it, it describes, it's found in a place that describe, that fits where the description of where Moses died, all that means is that those things were actually, um, that it fits the Genesis account. That doesn't make Genesis true. Genesis is true because it's the word of God. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? But it's not, it is not the word of God because we have found artifacts. God's word does not depend on any find of man. It is in itself God's revelation to us. And that has to be foundational. Um, our pastor is now in here and I have just gotten nervous. 
<laughs> I'm going to need that anyway. I have this bad habit, and when I cut my hair, I really start Don't to sweat. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to be looking down. Um, okay. Uh, it is within this framework that many of Israel's questions were answered, the how, the why, and the who questions. That's what Genesis was meant to, to answer from the beginning. Uh, these events were, re- were recognized as an integral part of the God plan and God directed course of history, extending from creation to the last days. Uh, in between the starting point and finishing point is what we call biblical theology. What's in the middle between in the beginning and amen is what we need to know to, to live our lives in a way that will be pleasing to God. The, facts that the, the fact that Genesis is a theological retelling of historical events does not in any way lead to an understanding that it is not actual history. When reading Genesis, one can trust that you are reading real history through Hebrew eyes, uh, so to say that this history is true and interpreted in the light of what God did and is doing in the lives of this people. That's important because, again, I think, I think that kind of points to your question, Josh. Mm-hmm. It's telling what God did through his people. Mm-hmm. And, that is, and if, again, if I understand your question, mm-hmm. it's just showing God's, God's track of history through this particular people. Because it kind of narrows and narrows and narrows and narrows and narrows till you get to Joseph, and then you got Moses and the people. Does that make sense? It kind of narrows and it opens up a little bit, and it's just kind of going this way. But God said, "All the nations will be saved, and all peoples, and all this." But it's it's only that that wide. Mm-hmm. But when you get to the New Testament, it does the same. It just opens up. So God kind of goes from, "Hey, I'm going to save the world. The world messed up. I'm going to work through one nation, one man." To, I'm going to work through one man, Moses, and give it just limited, but then we're going to open it up to the whole world. So, again, I, I get, if I, again, I got to make sure I understand your question, so I'm going to ask you afterwards. If I understand your question, I'll get to it in a few weeks, but I want to make sure I understand it. Genesis supplies the historical basis for God's covenant with his people. Now, let me tell you, as a dispensationalist, that is hard to say. Now, if y'all don't know what dispensationalism is between covenant theology and dispensationalism, good. But that's hard for me to say, okay? But I believe it, okay? God, Genesis shows us God establishing his covenant. That's a key point. And I can't, I can't argue with it. I'm not dispensational to the point where I dis- disagree with it, but it's true, okay? Um, the real theme of the Pentateuch and of Genesis is a selection of Israel from the nations and its consecration to the service of God and his laws in a divinely appointed land. That was said by Moses Siegel way back in the early part of the 1900s. He was a great Hebrew scholar. And uh, some of the stuff that I've read from him has been kind of enlightening. Now, he was a, I'll call him an evangelical, but he was a little different. We'll leave it at that. Uh, within the development of this theme, Genesis forms an indispensable prologue to the drama that unfolds in Exodus. Genesis is the beginning. You've got to understand that. When you've got Exodus, you've got Moses showing up. But Genesis, if, you, if, if the Pentateuch is called the prologue to the Bible, Genesis is called the prologue to the Pentateuch. Okay? Without it, nothing else makes sense. It all falls apart. Okay? The entire Bible does not make sense. Um, yes. Can I comment on that real quick? Yes. Um, just something for those of you guys. I, I hear this from Emilio. It's good for uh, 
against uh, apologetics against uh, Muslims to be able to point out that the Book of Genesis they have they would have to borrow from that mm -hmm. in order to make sense of the Quran. Right. Mm -hmm. So just a reminder on that. Genesis uh, Genesis is very foundational. Ken Ham has a talk mm -hmm. where he talks about um, if you don't understand Genesis, there's he just lists. I mean, it's, he goes on for like 30 seconds, all these things that you're just not going to get if you don't understand Genesis, if you don't read Genesis, if you don't get the message that God has intended for you through Genesis. And I'll, I'll try to bring um, the website for that talk next week. Two events are opposite of this great promise. Um, God's creation being orderly and complete and ending with God's blessing and blessing man and the totally disintegrating work with its two greatest curses being the flood and the dispersion at Babel. Those two things are the things that set us off on our journey. Okay, um, the first pro the first progression demonstrates God's plan to bring bring about perfect order from the beginning, in spite of what the reader may know of man's experience. Now, again, if we were living back then, we might give a phenomenological, and that's a big word to just say the way things appear to be, understanding of how the world came to be. And that's what I think a lot of, like I said, the, the, the Egyptian, the Mesopotamian, the Sumerian, all of those other creation stories, if you have um, the grass comes up, the grass dies, and the grass comes up, and the grass dies. You're going to say, well, there has to be a God over the grass, and that God must rise up and die, and rise up and die. That's how they would view things. But if you're a Hebrew, you know that one God, one creator, one omnipotent, I was going to say the word, I don't want to say the word, one omnipotent God <coughs> created everything, okay? And it is that God who is, who is authoring this book through Moses to tell you your history. When it seems that hu humanity is incorrigible, and I like that word, uh, and beyond saving, God calls Abraham. Promises are made to him, and these points are repeated several times, and they provide a, uh, they provide a basis for the development of the rest of the Bible. What I'm trying to say is this. The Bible is a Jesus book. Jesus is in the first sentence. Jesus is in the last sentence. He might not be clearly defined in the first sentence, but he's there, as we'll see. Um, one of the things that I hope to do through this study is as we're going through it, I want to point out this is Jesus. This is related to Jesus. This might be part of how we understand Jesus to be. Because I want you guys to understand, as Christians, we have to look for Jesus in our text. Not looking for him under every rock and every leaf and every you know, vine and branch. But he said the Old Testament talked about him. Mm -hmm. I believe it. Okay? Um, God in Genesis. This is still under the section of, is Genesis history? Understanding God in Genesis is a way to combat many of the errors that have crept into society in, relation to, in, in, in relationship to this deity. Genesis was written to give man a glimpse at the holiness and perfections of the one true God. Genesis was written, um, uh, as one looks at Genesis to see God, one is quickly confronted with just who this God is. Four things about who God is. God is powerful in that he created all things. God is all-knowing and that he is aware of what everyone is doing in Genesis, and he's never taken by surprise. God is in control of time, and time was created by God. And God has a plan of redemption as seen in his actions to redeem man, and that is found in Genesis.
But now when we get to Christ in Genesis, as an extension of God in Genesis, immediately after the fall, the promise of salvation is given to the seed of the woman in 3.15. But then the messianic links are made clear throughout the rest of Genesis. The line of Seth, the offspring of Shem, the family of Abraham, um, the seed of Isaac, the sons of Jacob, the tribe of Judah, all of those things. We have to understand that just as Genesis has pointed us to the Gospels, we should also appreciate the way in which Genesis, in which the Gospels point us back to Genesis. And the way that we're going to see Genesis, and this is just quickly, Genesis is the self-existent creator. Yes. I was going to say, finish your statement. Go, go ahead. Uh, I, I had this thing bothering me. The, okay, the, I'm still thinking this through. No but, problem. Uh, but having the, the, that generation that's hearing this, right, mm-hmm. was there, did you see in your study any kind of authorial relaying of how, do they, how are they to perceive that they are receiving the word of God? Are they receiving just identity as a people, or are they receiving something that this is the word of God, this is, this is God's infallible word? Do we see that, hmm. or do we see more of just like, this is what you're supposed to adopt? Hmm. You know, That's is, a good is question. Is there any internal evidences that we see in the book of Genesis as a beginning for that? That's a good question. Uh, I don't know. I haven't read it, run across anything like that. Um, now, I read through Genesis, but I read through it a little while ago. I'll have to think about that. Can I get back to you? Please. Unfortunately, it seems like a lot of the questions you're asking are going to be answered sorry, at I'm a later sorry. date. <laughs> it's, your mind thinks in wonderful I, ways. I, I did. I got <laughs> um, But it says, this is, this is how we know Jesus. Jesus is a self-existing creator, Genesis 1-1. Jesus <laughs> is the light of the world, Genesis 1, 1-5. Jesus is the seed of the woman, Genesis 3, 14 and 15. Genesis, uh, Jesus is the second Adam, Genesis 3.6. He is our gracious covering, Genesis 3.21. He's the tree of life, Genesis 3.23-24. through 24. Those are just some of the ways in which we'll see uh, foreshadowings, types, pictures of Jesus in the book of Genesis. There are, are several references also that portray, uh, the one, that portray him, Jesus, as the one savior of mankind. Adam is a type of Christ. Abel is a type of Christ. Melchizedek is a type of Christ. Joseph is a type of Christ. Okay? Now that's the introduction, and i got to rush through this to get to, to the first verse. But that's just the first things that I want you to see. But now on your sheet where it's got this nice... You guys have no idea the trouble I went through to get this one up for you. <laughs> no, the, the actual Hebrew on this sheet is a little bit off-center. The, the vowels are a little bit off-center, but I think it'll still work. The first word, and you read it again from right to left. The first word is berashit. All right? That's a preposition meaning in the B, the first little word with the dot in the middle. That's in. Rashit is beginning. Then you have the next word is bara. Right here. This third word is Elohim. Who knows what Elohim means? Everybody should know. It's God. God. Then you have et. Hashemayim. Wait a minute. Make sure that's right. 
Hashemayim, Vet Haeretz. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. If you heard that and you were a Hebrew, Berashit bara Elohim et Hashemayim vet Haeretz, you would be called to attention. Your mind would immediately perk up, which is why I think that the Gospel of John, the beginning of John, was written the way it was written. Now, the Gospel of John is actually talking about a time period before the beginning, and this is the hardest part I've had to decide on this lesson, is when you read Genesis, scholars say there are two ways to translate it. In the beginning, God created, or when God began to create. I don't agree with that translation, but it is viable in the Hebrew language. Okay, It's... It's weird. When you read some really good guys that I really like, they take that, they adopt that. And it was, it's like there was already stuff here and God began to create with that stuff. I just, I can't get with that. I don't agree with that. I think um, that when it says in the beginning God created, I kind of, I just think God created everything. Um, so it's, it's kind of strange, but that's how people look at it. Um, Here's what Robert Jastrow said. For the scientist who has lived by faith in the power of reason, the story ends like a bad dream. He has scaled the mountains of ignorance. He is about to conquer the highest peaks. As he pulls himself over the final rock, he is greeted by a band of theologians who have been sitting there for years. People can say whatever they want. We have the truth. They're going to tell you all sorts of things. When you go to the UNT campus, they have a million ideas about how things got started. They're going to tell you evolution. We have got one girl telling me Thor did everything. And I'm like, really? But no, God created everything. God is the self-existent creator of all things. He is the one, and, and, it's, and I'm, I'm, I'm saying he, uh, and it's kind of technically an inaccurate statement, but God is the creator. He is the one that does it. Because God is not one. God is Three. God is three. But God is, God is also one in his being. So you can say his. Uh, I, I had to rush through that, so we're going to cover some, what I left, what was on the bottom of, bottom of your sheet. We'll cover some of that next week. Then we'll talk about Christ and Genesis next week. Um, thank you for coming today. If you want to, let's bow and we'll go out with a word of prayer. We'll go into worship. Um, Father, thank you for uh, this week. Thank you for introducing us to the book of Genesis. Lord, we just look forward to uh, what you're going to do through this study. Father, I thank you for the time. I just ask that uh, you would bless bless the words that I've spoken and let uh, anybody be just uplifted and uh, encouraged. Lord, we have the truth. Um, we have the words of Jesus that Moses wrote this book. And Lord, we are so thankful that he did. Lord, we look forward to what you're going to teach us in the future. And we ask for these blessings in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Just for you guys to know, this is the book that I've been using most. This is the book that I've been using second. And that's the book I've been using third. But this is the book that tells you all about Genesis. This one, if you, it doesn't give you, it's not like a commentary, but if you want to know anything about Genesis, this book tells you. Uh, you can pick it up at a 
theological library. I know Dallas has it for 26 bucks. It's soft cover now. Um, I haven't checked on Amazon.com. But this, if you're interested in Genesis studies, I would listen to everything Ken Ham says, yeah. and I would Amen. read this book. Amen. And you will know Genesis backwards and forwards. All the, the little tricky details and stuff like that, he covers. All the questions, he asks them and then he answers them. So this is a great, and it's, it's, it's kind of like a continuation of this book. He wrote the chapter on Genesis in this book. This is like the, old, the whole Old Testament. But then he said, let me just break out and do something on Genesis itself. So this is a great book. This is a great book. You can usually find this at half, uh, Mardell's on sale for like 10 bucks. So it's a great book. This is not usually on sale. This is expensive. Now, the one that DTS uses is not even up here because they don't believe in it. So I will leave that alone. The one that DTS wrote, this is the one DTS uses. They don't even use their own book. So that's a problem for me. So thank you, guys. Off to worship.